The Bible reading this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 19, and it's titled, The Empty Tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, good morning. Um, I almost feel like I need to defend myself a bit there. Um, I, think, I think I go right on my home machine, but if you really want me to make your coffee, I will. I've basically learned how to use that machine off YouTube, so uh, yeah, I, I can't guarantee the results you'll get. I think this morning, um, Matt Hoadley and Rebecca and Beck might be here to make you a coffee at the end, uh, so um, if you start smelling nice coffee smells during our time, be patient, um, unless he's sick or something, I'm not sure I can see Matt. Anyway, he was going to come make coffee, we'll see. Um, look, we're not here for that, we're here of course to celebrate and to remember and to think about the implications of Jesus' resurrection, so that's what we're going to do as we turn to John chapter 20, so let's pray uh, for God's help as we do that. Uh, God, we uh, thank you so very much for the witness of uh, the scriptures, your Holy Spirit, the apostles who saw you, uh, Lord Jesus, risen. Uh, Lord, show us what the implications are of your resurrection this morning. Uh, help us to uh, go from here with a determination to, uh, if anything, investigate the truth of your resurrection, if we are believers, to live in the light of your resurrection, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you might know there's an intersection in Windsor uh, where if you stop at the traffic lights there, there's a cemetery 
right sort of really close to the street. I don't know if anyone knows that one, but we were driving through there. We went to visit friends uh, a few years ago when our kids were really little, and we had, our, one of, uh, we had a three-year-old in the back seat, and he says, what are those, like, rocks standing up over there? And Amy says, well, actually, they are, uh, that's a cemetery, and that's where we, we bury people who die. And uh, one of our kids, who's five at the time, sitting there sort of very thoughtfully says, hmm, well, I never want to die. Uh, and, uh, of course, he says he wants to live forever and ever. Now, a sentiment coming from a little child might be one that maybe we kind of share, right? I mean, who wants to experience the unknown like that? Maybe the suffering, the pain, whatever it might be. Who can argue with that? Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could live forever? I used to have a friend who'd come to church with me, and uh, he'd say to me, you know, it feels nice, it feels peaceful. I might have told you this before, uh, my good friend from high school. And one day I said, well, you know, he's telling me that. And I thought, wow, great. So what do you think of Jesus? He says, oh, of course, it's all nonsense. Uh, you, know, you know, all these miraculous stuff. I mean, no, that could happen. It just makes me feel good. And uh, as we come for Resurrection Sunday this morning, maybe, you know, we've heard the cheers. Everybody's very excited about Resurrection Sunday. But um, is it just something to make us feel good? Or, or is there something more to Jesus' resurrection? Because, of course, death is a horrible reality. We don't just want to kind of block it out and deny it. But we don't want to kind of have a solution that isn't based in reality. Where would the hope be in that? And so that's what we're going to have a look at this morning as we look at John chapter 20. Now, we have been looking at John's Gospel on Sunday mornings. So our reading this morning is continuing that as we've been reading through. So we're going to look at John's account of what happened on that first Easter, that first Sunday morning more than 2,000 years ago. Uh, and, and when we see, as we look at this passage, you could say so many things about Jesus' resurrection. You could say so many things about what it means for us today. Um, but to spare you that, you can look at that uh, in, in depth, even if you uh, come along to Christianity Explored, love to talk about it there, but in your own time, in your small groups, and that's in your life groups, and that sort of thing. So this morning, I've just picked out uh, three things that, that I thought of during the week as I was sort of thinking about the implications for my life and our life uh, as, as a body for Jesus' resurrection. Because we are excited, we do celebrate this morning, because Christians believe that death isn't the end. Christians believe that there's hope, there's, there's, there's life after death, and we believe in the hope of the resurrection. That's what we've come together this morning to celebrate. So, uh, as I said, we've been looking through John's Gospel. Um, we've seen that Jesus does a lot of amazing things. And that's sort of not a very controversial statement at some level. Uh, if you think about how people think about Jesus in our world today, lots of people will say things like, well, you know, Jesus says some really good stuff, like love one another. Uh, love your enemies. Treat each other as you would want to be treated yourself. Wow, yeah, great pearls of wisdom. That, that's really good. Uh, but resurrection, it, it's just something that none of us have experienced. Is it just vain hope, a way of dealing with something we can't face up to? So why would uh, a rational, sensible person believe these things? We're going to have a quick uh, a look at those things this morning. Uh, now, Good Friday, some of, a lot of you are here. We read John chapter 19. And uh, I want to say here that Mary Magdalene, who we read about this morning, and the others we've read about this morning, Peter and John, they knew that Jesus was dead. They were there. They, they saw the brutality of Jesus' death. They saw the spear that went into his side. They saw the blood and the water that, that, that he bled. And they knew without doubt that he had died. They weren't, as you read this passage, you might have noticed, they weren't kind of expecting that Jesus was hidden off somewhere, that maybe he was just a little bit beaten up and he'd be okay. 
or even as some other faiths, particularly Islam, say that he sort of slipped away, they saw him die. And that's important to note. It's important to note because uh, it raises the question, uh, then what happened to him? What happened to Jesus? And I say that because there's no doubt at all that Jesus was a real historical figure. You just won't find any serious historian who doubts that. So that begs the question then, who is he? What happened to him after he died? And if he did rise from the dead, what does that mean? Is he really the son of God? And all of those questions hang on the resurrection, on whether he really did rise from the dead or not. And of course, it also means that if it's true, his resurrection changes everything for us. It's not something that is just sort of, you can, you can label, it's either completely unimportant or it changes absolutely everything. And the story of John chapter 20 is a story of this unexpected triumph over tragedy. And uh, we follow in that chapter Mary Magdalene's journey from grief to relief and joy. And you might be wondering, well, who is this Mary Magdalene? What has she been through? Well, very quickly, she was a woman who'd met Jesus through his ministry. There's a story or two uh, in the Bible about her, a story where she's been healed. And uh, even it says at one point healed of the presence of demons in her life, whatever that might have looked like. And so she'd followed Jesus from that point. She'd heard his teachings, been around him. And as I said before, uh, she was there when he was killed. And he was killed on that Good Friday though, all those years ago. And then all of Jesus' friends and his family's followers, they would have been grieving terribly on that Saturday. Imagine that grief, this person who you'd thought was going to bring sort of peace to the world, somebody who you'd loved and admired for their teachings, seen do amazing things, and, and now this person's dead. And so we pick the story up on the very early, uh, before dawn, on the very first Easter Sunday. And she goes to the tomb uh, expecting to find Jesus' body there. She's bringing um, spices and, and, and anointing oils. She's going to perform sort of burial customs, burial rituals uh, for Jesus' body out of respect for who he is. And of course, what does she find? Well, she's shocked to see the tomb has been removed. It's been rolled away and Jesus' body is gone. Now, most of you have probably seen illustrations or depictions of what the tomb would have looked like. It was probably carved out of a stone cave, out of a stone rock face, and had a really massive big uh, boulder, rolled disc-shaped rock rolled in front of it. And that, again, is not an unimportant detail because the rock that's in front of this cave would have been incredibly heavy. It would have taken multiple people to, to move it. And, and here it is we find that it's been moved. And, uh, and, and so what has, what has happened? That's, that's the question uh, for us. Now, there's more detail in other Gospels, but anyway, John tells us that she sees this scene, and so she runs to tell Peter and John, uh, who, are two, who are two of Jesus' closest and most important followers or disciples. And, of course, they, she doesn't reach them, and they're like, oh, yeah, great, okay, well, we'll go find you, because we know, you know, we know this was going to happen. They're not expecting it either, and they don't know what's happened. And so you can kind of, they start running towards the tomb. You could imagine, you know, what are they thinking? Maybe they're thinking, you know, who's taken the body? Is it the Roman, the, the, is it the Romans? Or is it the, the priests, the religious leaders who wanted to kill, or who did uh, have Jesus killed? Maybe they're, they're sort of angry. Maybe they're feeling confusion. And all they find when they get to the tomb is Jesus' grave clothes neatly folded up. And I think that's quite an interesting detail. I mean, if they are grave robbers or if there's somebody trying to desecrate Jesus' body, well, at least they're neat about it, right? Well, no, I think John records that detail um, because it's at that point that John believes. See, it's so unusual to find the grave clothes kind of all folded up. It shows that God's been at work, that it's this deliberate thing that's happened. 
Isn't that interesting that at that point, John believes? And it does say that it's, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's before he realizes that the Old Testament had even pointed forward to this. And that if he listened to Jesus and understood his teaching, he would have been looking forward to Jesus' prophesied resurrection. But he hasn't understood that yet. But in John's mind at this point, it's not some robbers ransacking the grave looking for any treasures or anything like that. It's not Jesus' enemies desecrating his body. It could only have been God's work in John's mind. So he's convinced, but we see Mary and we find that she still is not expecting Jesus to have risen. And fair enough. I mean, who would have expected that? Mary's crying. She's assuming they, someone, uh, has stolen Jesus' body. And she's even so upset that when angels appear to her, and, you know, you can imagine how spectacular that would be, someone with the sort of gleaming clothes and they're sitting in this grave. Uh, Even then, she's still thinking, well, I don't know where they've taken Jesus' body. She's still confused. And the next thing to happen is that Jesus himself appears to Mary. And even at that point, she doesn't recognise him. Until, verse 16, uh, he speaks her name. And this verse sort of really draws us in and even tells us who don't speak Aramaic the the word Mary cried when she saw Jesus, Rabboni, teacher. It's like she's telling us the story herself and saying, "This this is what I said. And she knows that uh, she's recognised Jesus' voice. She's recognised Jesus' voice. She's recognised her shepherd's voice. Jesus had said in John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, that his sheep, his people, his sheep he calls them, will recognise the voice of the one who takes care of them, their shepherd. And as, he hears, as she hears Jesus' voice, she knows Jesus is alive. I don't know about you, but I've tried to imagine the, uh, the excitement, the euphoria that you'd feel at that point. If you're one of Jesus' disciples, uh, imagine the kind of adrenaline rush. I don't know what it would have felt like uh, to be uh, one of the first Christians on that Sunday more than 2,000 years ago. I, think if, you know, I try and think of the most exciting things that have happened to me, like my wedding day or birth of our children or like when my teams have won a grand final in sport. Very exciting. Um, when you finish an exam or finish school or... or, or you know, a qualification or something like that, but none of it must go close to the feeling of knowing that Jesus was alive on that day because they will come to realise that this changes everything. And the first thing it changes for Mary is that she's sent to tell all the other disciples that Jesus has risen. Now, isn't that interesting? Uh, It's interesting because, well, for one thing, Jesus could have just appeared to the other disciples himself. He kind of didn't really need Mary to do that, but he chooses to use Mary in that way. And in fact, in the first century, sadly, uh, women weren't allowed to be uh, witnesses in a court of law. You've probably heard that sort of thing before. And yet Jesus chooses women to be uh, the first witnesses to his resurrection and to go and tell other people uh, about his resurrection. And it's just another one of these little things that Jesus does that is so different and unexpected to what we uh, might know. So Jesus sends Mary, he says to her, don't hold on to me, I haven't yet returned to my father and your father. So he's sort of identifying with people, but also sort of showing that he is uh, related to God in in a different way to us. But anyway, uh, he he won't stay with them forever, he says. He is ascending, that's what he's going to do, go to be with God. That sounds all a bit complicated, but... 
um, he, he won't do that just yet. The time not, is not that, the time to, for clinging on to me is not for now. And, and I imagine Mary's kind of probably fallen at his feet in sort of joy and relief and kind of grasping onto him. And he's saying, look, now's not the time for that. Go and tell everybody, or go and tell the disciples uh, that I've been raised. Uh, and, and there's time then, because he hasn't ascended between Jesus' resurrection and his return, the time when all the world will see Jesus and experience the final judgment, which the Bible says will occur at one point. Now, you might wonder for what reason, and in some ways only God knows why Jesus ascended to God and then will come back later and sort of leaves all this in between time. Chris mentioned that a little bit before. But at least one reason is so that people can hear the message that sins have been paid for, that they can be forgiven, and that all people who hear that message can turn to Jesus uh, and their sins will be wiped away. Their selfishness and rebellion against God uh, will, be, will be wiped away if they just trust in Jesus. We call that repentance and trust. And why then do people need to hear this message? Well, as I said, we've looked at the story and the narrative of it, but I've picked out at least three implications of what that means and implications that come from other parts of the Bible. And we'll just look at each of these very briefly. And one is that Jesus, by his resurrection, has been appointed our Lord and judge. With the resurrection, Jesus proves that he is who he said he was in his life. He is the promised Messiah of God, the Son of God as he claimed to be. And if he is Lord, then he can forgive our sins. He has the authority to be able to do that. On Good Friday, we heard that on the cross, Jesus cried out in his final moments, it is finished. Our sins are, fi our sins are completely paid for. All that Jesus came to do on the cross as he died was finished. On the cross, Jesus uh, paid for our sins, left leaving nothing unpaid. There's nothing we have to work off ourselves. It's finished. And when we come to Jesus in repentance and trust, our sins are completely paid for. And in another part of the Bible, it says that Jesus' resurrection is for our justification. It's so that not only are our sins sort of paid for, it's that we actually can come back into relationship with God as well that he would view us just as if we had not sinned, that we are justified in his presence, seen, and, uh, seen as being right with God. And that's because Jesus is our Lord. So look at Acts chapter 17, verse 31. One of uh, the, uh, Paul the Apostle who would go and tell the world, the, the non-Jewish world, about how Jesus had risen, put it this way, that he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So Jesus has the authority to forgive our sins. He has the authority to, to judge us. And the reality is that what, Jesus, what Paul says here, what Paul points to here, is Jesus' words that he'll one day return uh, as our judge. So if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then that means you must listen to him. You must turn to him. If you want your sins forgiven, you can't pay off your sins yourself. And if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then you'll want to live with him as your Lord. You'll want to listen to him, to obey him, and let him rule your life. 
And so there's a question for us on this Easter Sunday morning. If you believe Jesus really did rise from the dead and that he's living now, are you letting him rule your life? Are you trusting that in his goodness he wants to rule your life for your good so that you would be more like Jesus, which is the best thing that could possibly be for you? Is he guiding the choices you make day to day? Uh, Do you listen to accept all his words, even the ones we find difficult, even the ones that kick against our culture? Are you willing to listen to our risen Lord? Because that's the implication if he's really risen from the dead. I know our kids listen to the song, and a lot of the kids would know the song by Colin Buchanan, Jesus is the Mighty, Mighty King. And you can be encouraged, kids, it says in there, it pains me a little bit, uh, even mum and dad, what does it say? Are not the boss. The school principal is not the boss. Jesus is the boss. Why? Because he rose again. Now, I'll give the kids a little bit of disappointment here. It doesn't mean you don't listen to mum or dad or your principal where they're telling you to do things that are right and helpful and responsible and reasonable, but Jesus is the boss over all things and the one to listen to over all people. And so Jesus is the boss because the proof of this is in his resurrection from the dead. Nobody else could do that, only Jesus. He has power even over death. Of all the things that he did in his life, all the miracles, all the power he showed over nature, this is the most important one. He rose from the dead. Now, another implication, I think, of, for this is for those of us who have a doubt, who ever think, could this all be real? Could this all be true? And of course, I think all of us will go through those sorts of things. Sometimes it doesn't feel as if God's really present in our lives. And sometimes our feelings kind of need to catch up with the facts. And so if you're ever feeling doubtful, if you're ever feeling discouraged in your Christian walk, then look to the facts of Jesus' resurrection. Because we all have to work out what did happen to Jesus if, he's, if he didn't rise from the dead. The tomb was empty. What happened? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I mean, people at that time, even in Peter's time, when he wrote letters to, his church, uh, to churches only a few decades later, they could, have, they could have produced the body, they could have shown us. Um, in fact, uh, at that time, people... Uh, so, uh, let me start that sentence again. Uh, the tomb was empty, and we have to think and work out what happened to Jesus' body. Now, one suggestion could be that maybe Jesus' own followers stole the body, but of course that's impossible. Why? Well, think about all the suffering that all the apostles, all the disciples of Jesus went through because they wouldn't stop preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead. Most of them we read about in, in, church, in history and so on, they were persecuted terribly for the, at least the first 300 years of the Christian church. Christians were on, the out, were on the fringes of society. They were persecuted, yet they kept going, they kept preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead. And you know what would have stopped that? Very early on, if the disciples had stolen the body, all they could have done was say, no, here, he's there. No, sorry, guys, we're just lying. Um, You know, for whatever reason, we made it up. Stop hurting us, and that would have all stopped, right? So uh, who else could have stolen the body? The Roman authorities or the Jewish uh, leaders? Well, no, of course not, because they're the ones persecuting the early Christians um, for preaching that Jesus had risen. And they wanted to stop that. They thought it sort of undermined their society, having this sort of risen God as opposed to the Roman gods. How would they have stopped that if they had stolen the body? Very easily. 
put the body on public display, yet they couldn't do that. The tomb is empty. The disciples don't have the body. The Roman authorities don't have the body. Uh, They could have stomped out the Christian movement then and there if they had, but they didn't. And so we have the best explanation for what happened to Jesus' body in our four gospel witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that Jesus really did rise on that third day as our Lord. Another implication I want to explore this morning is that Jesus' resurrection gives us power to live God's way now. See, Jesus' uh, resurrection shows that this world does matter. That the world's not kind of just sort of going to hell in a handbasket, to use that kind of crass saying, that he's not just going to kind of destroy the world and that's going to be the end of it, that he's going to renew us, renew the world. And that renewal has started with Jesus. Jesus was given a new, a sort of, it's a resurrection body, the Bible talks about. A body that is his own and that has continuity with his previous body, like looks the same. People recognize him and yet is somewhat different because he lives forever. And so God's taken decisive action in bringing justice and bringing an end to pain and, to, and, and death in our world. In Jesus, death is defeated. Justice will be brought to bear in our world. And every person will be brought to account for their actions, whether good or bad. And so this changes the way that we view our world now. It means that our, our actions uh, do have consequences and our actions do have meaning. We can live with meaning and purpose in our world. It's not like everything's going to end and that's, that's it. There's meaning and purpose in our world. And as, as people who believe in Jesus' resurrection, we have been given his spirit then to live changed lives. So Romans chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And isn't that an incredible thing to imagine, to think about, to live with, to experience? That God is not kind of gone away, that he's with us, with everyone who believes in Jesus. And it says he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Now, as you hear that, maybe some Christians, you're thinking, gee, I don't know, I, I struggle with sin. I, I don't always live in kind of resurrection power. It doesn't feel like that's me. And of course, every Christian, we still live in this realm. We still live in this world waiting for Jesus' final return. And so we're going to struggle with old habits. We're going to struggle with sinful ways and, and words and all these sorts of things. We're going, to suffer with, uh, we're going to struggle with suffering and pain. All those things are still here. But we can be encouraged that because of Jesus' resurrection, because of his spirit living in us, that he will change us over time. That we can become more like Jesus in character. And that can be our motivation for living in this world. The final implication, as I said, there's so many, but the final one just for this morning is that the resurrection brings hope into our world. Now... I was surprised, actually, this week I got an email from uh, the, uh, the National Church Life Survey. I don't know if anybody uh, ever gets those sorts of things, but it's, a, it's an organisation that does surveys, and not just of churches. They did one of our church a couple of years ago, but uh, of culture in general. They survey thousands of Australians. And I thought, oh, it's interesting, you hear so much negativity. I like reading the news. The news is all about negativity. And, you know, there's, there's big conflicts in politics, Mental health is so poor in our community, all these really negative things. But they found actually that two-thirds of the Australians they surveyed actually have hope for the future. 
And uh, I wonder for you, I mean, there could be a stack of things that you sort of hope for, that you, that you uh, put your hope in. Maybe you're hoping uh, for interest rates to fall at some point in, uh, in time. That's just for the adults. Maybe if your kids, you're hoping that school holidays will be good. Uh, maybe you are optimistic about your future, that you'll get a good job, that things will go well, that your family, your children, your grandchildren will have good lives. And so it could be hard then for us sometimes to place our hope in Jesus because it sort of seems so otherworldly. But when everything comes to an end, uh, when it all comes down to it really, uh, and we all have to face the possibility that none of us uh, that will escape death, there's no greater hope than that death is defeated. And that's what Jesus' resurrection uh, does for us. Because of Jesus' resurrection, this, there's a hope that maybe some of you just sorely, sorely need. Perhaps some of you don't feel you're one of that, those one-third of that survey that feels like there is no hope for this world, that things are uh, really a struggle for you. But there's nothing that can compare to the hope of living with God forever, even if you die. Because of Jesus' resurrection, that means that, yes, we can meet Jesus today in, in the sense that his spirit's with us. But it means that one day also we can have a resurrection body like Jesus. We can live forever. We can be like Jesus, raised after death. Like Jesus, given a resurrection body without the the pain and suffering of death hanging over our heads as we experience now. Like Jesus, there might be a hint in this story even that we can be reunited with loved ones. Like Jesus, we'll go to be with God. We'll see him face to face. And there'll be nothing greater, no, no greater satisfaction that we could ever experience in this life to compare with that. And so there's a message of hope for you. If you've ever sort of thought, well, you know, could I qualify for that eternal life? Um, would God accept me into what we might call heaven? Well, there's no need for you to worry. Because Jesus has died and risen. He's done all that's uh, needed to have been done so that God would accept you. So have a look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. God assures us that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We've heard that word already this morning before, that our sin is dealt with, that in Jesus, God sees us as justified, having no sin to answer for. But of course, this hope is for anyone who does accept that offer Because Jesus wants to offer that eternal life to you, to every one of you, as a gift. But you need to accept that gift. And so we'll read in coming weeks, John chapter 20, verse 31. Why did John write what he writes? He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Why does he want you to believe? And that by believing you may have life in his name. The offer of life is to who? Anyone who believes. Anyone here this morning can believe in Jesus. And look, that might not happen at one point in time. That might not happen this morning. It might take for you a little bit of investigation. That's why we do put Christianity Explored on. But we've seen uh, that Jesus' resurrection 
completely changed the life of, of Mary. We haven't looked at it in detail this morning, but also uh, the, the, the disciples, Peter, John, and the others. They go from people who are, are, are living and, and worshipping as Jewish people in their synagogues, they go to preach to non-Jewish people all over the world that Jesus is the fulfilment of Old Testament hopes. Uh, in a matter of a few years, they stop living under that Jewish law. They're persecuted for that. Uh, and then over the 2,000 years since Jesus' resurrection, billions of people have given their lives to following and listening to Jesus. Why? Because they have that hope that he brings, that he gives as our resurrected Lord. This early church began to worship a human being as divine. And it does seem kind of odd, doesn't it? But it's because they were certain that he'd risen from the dead. And that's why they worshipped him as Lord. Now, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead more than 2,000 years ago, well, the whole thing comes crumbling down, doesn't it? We simply have no hope of death's defeat. Death will be the end of us. You might be left with some helpful teachings about love or something like that, but there's no hope for the future. But Christianity is all about who Jesus is. And John and the other gospel witnesses show us that he's risen from the dead. He is our Lord. And through his resurrection comes forgiveness of sins, the declaration that Jesus is Lord, the power to live God's way for us. And for those who trust that, a future hope that each of us can live with God forever. The power of death is defeated. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you so very much that you change the course of this world forever through Jesus' death and resurrection. We pray that you help each one of us to just think through and wrestle with where we stand before you. Uh, Lord, give us the, uh, the courage to look into uh, who you are and what you've done for us. And uh, we do pray that you'll be working in us as we do that. Lord, for those who do trust, we pray that we will sense a great deal of gratitude, that, we'll be, uh, that, we, that we will want to go from here and live the lives that you've empowered us to live by the presence of your Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.